Log Talk Radio. Was 
a wonderful conversation that we had. He is the founder and president of the international think tank, the Club of Budapest, and the prestigious Laszlo Institute Institute of New Paradigm Research. He is an advisor to the UNESCO Director General, ambassador of the International Delphic Council, member of the International Academy of Science, World Academy of Arts and Science, and the International Academy of Philosophy. He has four honorary doctorates. And yes, he does have a very recently released book out called The Intelligence of the Cosmos. Why are we here? New Answers from the Frontiers of Science. And now, I am truly honored and privileged um, and also doing a few things that are new on this show and quite excited about that because using a little bit of new technology here, I am so happy to present a show within a show, my recorded interview with Dr. Irvin Lasso. And if you've just happened to be catching this show live, I will be in the chat room listening right along with you. So I'm happy to communicate with those of you in the chat If you are listening in the future across time, and my goodness, on this show, we so recognize the energy of those who are listening across time, and this particular show is likely to have quite a few of you. And my interview is across time with Dr. Laszlo as well, and the energy of that is very present. So this is very multidimensional and holographic. I welcome you. Feel free to comment. I don't often give it out, but feel free to send email to this show at info at frontierbeyondfear.com if you have any questions. Um, This show will also be featured, um, possibly the original interview, I'm not sure, perhaps this show in its entirety, entirety, the show within the show, on Dr. Laszlo's uh, website as well, which is truly an honor. And and his website is irvinlaszlo.com. And here, I am very honored to present my interview with Dr. Irvin Laszlo.
the Frontier Beyond Fear blog talk radio program. I'm Susan Larison Dan, and today I am so very honored and truthfully feeling very blessed to be talking with one of the world's leading way showers. And we speak at a pivotal time in the world today. Um, And so that, to me, lends this conversation even more import. And so let me introduce the guest that I'm going to be bringing on the line in just a moment. Many of you are familiar with Irvin Laszlo. Dr. Laszlo is known as the founder of systems philosophy and general evolution theory. He is the recipient of the highest degree in philosophy and human sciences from the Sorbonne, the University of Paris, as well as of the coveted artist diploma of the Liszt Ferenc Academy of Budapest. He has had so many incredible honors, twice nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. He has published more than 75 books and over 400 articles and research papers. He's been on PBS, the subject of a special life of a modern-day genius. He is the founder and president of the international think tank, the Club of Budapest, and of the prestigious Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research. And his website, which is on the page, is irvinlaszlo.com. And we indeed speak on a day which is filled with signs of a new paradigm. And so without further delay, I am so very honored to bring Irvin Laszlo on the line. Welcome, Irvin. Oh, Susan, I'm happy to be with you. It's a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful show. I look forward to talking together. And I seem to have quite naturally flowed into calling you Irvin instead of Dr. Laszlo. Oh, no, absolutely. I hope that, I that hope is okay. <laughs> I hope you will, then um, I can be call you Thank you. That's fine. Well, we are all human beings together here. And, and I have to say that I think that it would be um, ignoring the so-called elephant in the room, should we call it, as a, as a symbol, to say that we're speaking on a day where there is news in the world that is, it could be troubling to many of us, could be impacting our vibrational field, however you want to say it. It's having an impact on, on consciousness today. And, and, and what, I, what I speak of is, is today um, many of us in the U.S. and I think perhaps throughout the world have learned that, um, that um, President Trump is, is – is going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And so 
I find this in my consciousness as we launch into this conversation, and I want to use this in a way as a starting point, because we are in the world at this time when astonishing, odd, and pivotal things appear to be happening. What does this say to the shift? Well, we are in the midst of a shift, yes. And this shift is reschedules, revises all our institutions, the way we behave to each other. Yes. Even the very institution is, is, is in question, which we call the nation state. And an yes. institution which says exclusive, this is me and everything else is somebody else. So I would think that yes. a, country, a city like Jerusalem should be, can be the headquarters, the center for all spiritual traditions, all religions, not exclusively just for one. But certainly if there is a country that has its representation in Israel, in the Holy Land, then it is a good thing that it's the holiest of cities there, uh, yes. is, uh, together with Nazareth perhaps, uh, should be the place where this representation takes place. Yes. You know, that that is um, what some would say um, a a very expansive way of looking at what's happening because Jerusalem has indeed become exactly that, the center of so many spiritual traditions. And I think that, that um, what you're helping us to do here is see this in an expansive way, not a divisive way. Do you see how even even I, there is a consciousness that enters in um, that that we can we can either share in that that spirit of divisiveness or look at things expansively. And I appreciate how you are looking at this in such an expansive way because what you say is absolutely true that that we have seen that that this is a spiritual center. So, following with this this entry point, um, speak to us about the nature of consciousness and, and how we are called to evolve higher, how we are, how we are expanding. Well, consciousness is not just something that is in our head, not just something that is produced by the brain. Yes, the brain is involved in consciousness, but it is involved a little bit similarly to, let's say, to a radio receiver. The radio receiver doesn't create this program. This has been created by your network and by you, and now by us talking. But the radio receiver is there to transmit it. And this is pretty much the same with consciousness. Many of the things that happen to us that we see are results of the of the information, of the stimulation of our sensory organs, our eyes and ears and sense of touch and smell and etc. But many of these things beyond that are guesses, are intuitions, are higher emotions. These are things that our brain can receive, doesn't produce it, but receives it and transmits it. We are switched into 
what now in the science we could call a, a cosmic hologram, a hologram that records and contains all the things that are happening in the world and, and allows us to have access to it. And so this higher consciousness, which was used to be called the divine consciousness, we can now call it really a cosmic consciousness. Many people, uh, Sri Aurobindo, for example, but many others as well, talk about it in these terms. It's recognized that we cannot explain the world without assuming that there is a higher intelligence behind it. This is something that the great scientists have always recognized. Einstein and Planck and Schrodinger and all the others, and Carl Jung. But uh, now I think we can recognize that there is a consciousness, there is an intelligence behind the cosmos or in the cosmos, because the cosmos itself is a higher intelligence. And our brain is here, and our body, our nervous system, every cell in our body is capable of receiving that, of being in touch with it, and of transmitting it so that we can experience it and we can transmit it to the people around us so that we all together, each of us, can experience this consciousness and all together we can experience it as a whole, as a cosmic consciousness. This is the traditional insight which is now rediscovered at the frontiers of science. Do you feel, Irvin, that the materialists, um, coming from from that mindset, and and I will tell you, I've spent a lot of time in my life with with various scientists, um, and some of them are at NASA now and doing different things, um, actually working on discoveries of of other planets and things like that, and um, and yet there can be. I've had active discussions throughout my life with materialists. Let me say. Um, regarding the nature of reality and and how do you feel the scientists and I don't want to group them as strictly materialists the materialist scientists who who cling very tightly to a certain world view are awakening to the fact that as you say science has always spoken to this or many scientists have spoken to this higher reality how how do we change the narrative because we still hear that narrative in our schools the materialist narrative how do we shift that well we can recognize that our experience if we allow this experience to reach our consciousness our own consciousness then it's far, far wider than the scope of our senses, of our, of our eyes and ears. There is a deep experience, multi-sensory experience, that is beyond these limited forms of experience. And if you are open to this, then we, then we look at the evidence, then we get the evidence, the evidence that all the great scientists have worked with, has, has recognized, of course, all the spiritual leaders have recognized, that the reality is wider than what we can perceive. What we perceive with our material organs, our eyes and our ears, is a limited segment. It's one part of this broader reality, this broader phenomenon. And if you think today that, in terms of talking with so-called materialist sciences, 
scientists, if you think that when we go down to the infinitely small or we go up to the infinitely large, we never find, we just simply do not find anything that will resemble what we call matter. There's nothing hard, nothing, no segment there that it would be like the atom of Democritus two, two and a half thousand years ago. There's something is always there and it's indivisible and it's kind of, uh, uh, you know, eternal. There is nothing like that there. When we go down to the infinitely small, and we look at the cosmos, it is infinitely larger dimensions. What we find is what today we would call information, energy, energy of a certain kind, energy that's vibrating, that creates information. And this is a new concept that's at the same time an old concept. And it should be familiar with people today because while we know that the, when we communicate via the ether, we don't ping-pong little hard balls back and forth to each other. We are, we are using information, and that's basically energy of a given frequency and, and volume and so on. This is uh, the new reality that it's not only what we, how we communicate, it's how we are, it's what we are. The world is far deeper, far more subtle, and far, far larger than the little world that we create ourselves with our bodies and, and brains. We are here to receive this. We can receive it, and we can communicate it, because we have done all this, so sensitive people have always communicated in this way. Picking up the sensitive, picking up the the uh, uh, finer, fine-tuned connections, the vibrations that is around us. In the final count, what reality is is not bits of matter. Reality is energy that is informed, that is vibrating and producing phenomena. Not a far-out uh, concept because this is how we communicate, how we learn to communicate. But it is also to be realized that this is not only how humans communicate, it is how nature is. The whole universe is in the final count, nothing more and nothing less than a series and clusters or patterns of vibration, highly informed, highly tuned, so that it makes sense, so that these, these, inform these vibrations can interact and together create a meaningful universe. Much, of, much evidence speaks to that and we can discuss it if you like, but this, it's very, very clear that the universe is meaningful in the sense it's not random, it's not accidental, it is there. And it's the, it's the most re remarkable fact about it is that it is meaningful, that it is decodable, whether we do it cognitively, mathematically, or intuitively. Einstein said so, all the great scientists have said so. It's the most remarkable fact about the universe that it is coherent, and it is, yeah. in the final count, a coherent vibration, a sea of vibrations. That's what, who we are, and that's how we interact. Do you feel that our personal unfolding experience of synchronicity, and to a materialist, these things may appear very personally as highly, highly improbable, events statistically you know if they were to analyze some of the things that can occur in our lives in the world um, synchronistically do you feel that synchronicity is a gateway to 
revealing <laughs> this higher consciousness in a highly personal way to people. Do, have you found that to be true with, with awakening scientists? I can speak to myself, for myself, that that is what did it for me. Um, the things that were impossible, or I guess you would have to say astronomically improbable, because you can't use that word impossible in statistics. Um, but um, and and I do have a, a degree in mathematics. That was one of my first degrees. Or I only have two. I'm not like not quite like you. I have a degree in math and one in computer science. Um, but in any case, is synchronicity a gateway? Well, synchronicity is what I like to call coherence. When a thing is coherent with another thing, it means that they resonate together. They are synchronous, synchronized, you could say. And this universe, this cosmos, is coherent. So it's natural that synchronicity should occur. So synchronicity is not, should not be an unusual, miraculous occurrence is the most likely, most probable, most everyday kind of an occurrence. Only we don't always perceive it. We we are not ready to receive it. There's a beautiful saying by Einstein. He said there there are two ways to live one's life, either as if everything is a miracle or as if nothing is. In a sense, everything is a miracle, but for us to perceive it, we have to be open to it. This is a coherent universe. We are in ourselves coherent beings. And if we do not feel this coherence, we do not act coherently, then it's our own flaw. It's our own fault and shortcoming. So synchronicity is a step toward recognizing what reality really is. A synchronized, synchronous, uh, fine-tuned whole, a oneness, a coherent oneness of which we are a part. So these intuitions that young people use today are very much on the right track because all of the things in this universe are a, a, whole, a fine-tuned wholeness, what today in the quantum sciences we call an entangled system where every part yes. is constantly in communication with every other part. Yes. Something else I've noticed um, among the the people who 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 really have a hard time conceiving or defining the divine and and you know maybe we should talk about that for a moment is do, do you feel that there can be resistance to this concept of the divine because we have had it predefined for us in certain little ways that that maybe aren't how we conceive of the divine or how the divine actually needs to manifest in our lives or how it actually is. And do you feel that, and and this is kind of a complex question, because what I was thinking about is that a lot of um, scientists, and and especially computer scientists that I know, um, and, and I've worked with some of the top computer scientists in the world, they would tend, some of them, to view the universe as when they start to see things that look miraculous, that they will say, well, it's starting to look very probable we are part 
of a simulation. We are part of a higher species computer game or simulation or exercise or, you know, any number of ways you may frame it. it it's a and, and my question here, I'm, I'm really trying to get it a, a fine detail here, is about bridging from that, from starting to see there is intelligence here because there are a lot of articles out that are beginning to come out where people are thinking about this. Bridging to the divine, bridging to, yes, there is intelligence, and let's talk about the nature of the divine. Well, you know, Susan, in my newest book, The Intelligence of the Cosmos, I see not only that yes. the cosmos has intelligence, possesses intelligence, but the cosmos itself is an intelligence. This intelligence penetrates all things. I'm using a term that is familiar to you and probably to some of the listeners as well, namely the term information spelled with a hyphen as information. Yeah. As yeah. David Bohm said, he said that the reality is really has two basic levels or dimensions. The, the, the lower dimension, the, explica- the implicate order, and the, the explicate order. What he meant by that, in the implicate order, all things are one, all things are connected. It's a quantum dimension. The explicate order is what appears from that on the surface, what appears to our senses, to us. And the implicate order is the information that steers, that governs the explicate order. Now, I like to think of this, not in terms of separate dimensions, but rather use the concept of a hologram. You know, a hologram is a set of, uh, you know, that serve as a computer scientist, as a statistician, and so on, is a set of, of, of vibrations, a set of uh, items or, or elements or, or, or known magnitudes that act together to create an image. It's very often in terms of light, but it can be sound, can be other sensory elements as well. So hologram is really a set of one oneness items, set of items that, that create a whole one whole, a, a quantum whole. And this wholeness appears on the level of our perceptions as particular phenomena. And then we mistake that phenomena. I think also Einstein, I keep quoting Einstein because he said so many of these things about this that are so true. Uh, uh-huh. that there's a kind of optical illusion that we all suffer from when we think that things yeah. are separate. Ultimately, they are not. We just think that they are separate because they appear to us at, at a very, in a very limited way. So a hologram is a oneness, is a whole. That's why it's called a hologram in actually. And all that we, what we are are particular manifestations, projections, if you like, of that cosmic hologram. And this is nowadays even discussed in physics. There's a holographic theory of the universe. Yes. There's some mathematical truth evidence for this that it, it's when we think of, of the hologram, but many of the magnitudes that we can measure about the universe turn out to be true, turn out to, to work like that. So it seems that the information on the universe is in its periphery, and everything is a projection of that coding, of that coding which is beyond the universe, beyond space and time. And space-time is a coding, is a manifestation, expression, a projection of this beyond space-time oneness, oneness code, which we call the cosmos. So 
So this sounds odd, this is far out, sounds very esoteric, but it's now the new yes, science. Yes. It is science are coming, coming to find. This is what they're coming to believe. There's a tremendous convergence between these, some of these ancient insights and the discoveries at the very frontiers of science. You have, um, through your career, um, revealed things about the Akasha. And I wonder if you could, and, and that term, by the way, and I, I suffer from this as well, I shouldn't quite say it that way, but I, um, we, we, we cast many assumptions around it. And, um, and I wonder if you could define that for us from your perspective and how it, how it relates to our understanding of consciousness. Well, the Akasha is just a convenient way to label it, to label what uh-huh. the mind must mean by this deep quantum dimension, the quantum system, the, the universe, the cosmos as a whole, a seamless quantum system based on information. The Akasha, that's what it is. And interestingly enough, you know, 4,000 years ago, the, the so-called seers, the deep spiritual people in India, the Hindus, have come up with this concept. But it's so relevant yeah. is because it so closely, closely connects, recalls, and matches what we today recognize in science. If we just try to substitute some of the descriptions of modern quantum science and say the Bohm's and Einstein's and Schrodinger's ideas of the cosmos, and we put put Akasha into it. We get to the same thing. It's just a way to recall what it is. It's a convenient symbol because it, at the same time it indicates something that human beings have known for thousands of years, known intuitively, deeply. And so let's not forget yeah. that we have had this knowledge. We do have this knowledge, this deep knowledge. It's in us. The big discovery or, the, what was, or rediscovery rather from, on the side of science from uh, regarding religion and spirituality and the divine. And the divine is us. The divine is the cosmos. It's not beyond. It's not something that acts on the cosmos. The cosmos is that divine. The cosmos is that intelligence which manifests itself. And we mustn't confuse the manifestation with the reality. If you do that, then we see each other as a hard, separate, separable, mortal, uh, temporal, uh, beings, material beings, and that's not the case. That is just how it appears. So it's time to rediscover the divine as part of the real world, as the essence of the real world. Yes, yes. And as you say, when we speak of these things, they can feel esoteric. And yet, I know that many of us, and on I know you included, that there is a there is a profound experiential element to this. I can speak to my, my own awakening um, into that that more expansive consciousness. There are almost no there are no words. Um, you know, maybe we have such a we have a very broad audience. Many out there in this audience that listen to this show may have seen the movie Contact. Towards the end of that show, um, and it's much different than the book, those who've read that, um, the, the scientist, Jodie Foster, she has no words. She said we should have sent a poet <laughs> to, 
to describe, you know, what what she observes. And and I think that beautifully captures um um this experiential element of 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 the the love, you know, the the it, there are no words. Even that doesn't capture it. And and I wonder um your book and it is important to refer to your latest book, um The Intelligence of the Cosmos, Why We Are Here. New Answers from the Frontiers of Science. You have many people speaking in your book as well as you, and and some of those chapters bring um, bring this home. You know how we how we live in the midst of this consciousness, whether doing business or you know as human beings, how we flow with the awareness of this consciousness in real life, in full living color. <laughs> Now that you you mentioned this book, you know there are two key there are several contributions in it that I'm very proud to have. Uh, but yes. two key contributions: one is a foreword and one is an afterwards. The foreword by Jane Goodall and the afterwards is by Jane uh, Jane Goodall and the afterwards by by uh, James O'Dea. Now they are both of them are poets, not professional poets, but in real life yes. poets, They're highly yes. spiritual individuals, you know, and the way they write. He wrote in this book and the way we communicate all together is actually is poetic because we have to grasp this in order to in order to perceive this we have to feel it we have to become one with it and that's not something that you can describe in subject predicate terms using modern language it has to go much deeper than that the altered state experiences in meditation in mindfulness in prayerfulness in, in aesthetic enjoyment, in nature enjoyment. All these are states that cannot be described in everyday terms. Poets, great poets, and deeply spiritual people come closest to describing it. But ultimately, they are beyond words. Words are only one thing at a time. The, one sentence gives you one thing at a time. And these things are all joined together. And you can't describe everything all at once. You have to take it apart. And by, you take, by taking it apart, you do violence to it. You no longer are talking what it is. You're just to, talk, you're taking an extract, a segment, and analyze that. It's like taking apart a, a, a living organism and looking at one cell of one organ and trying to find out what it is. What it is, it's part of the whole, and its function is to be a part of the whole, to work with the whole. So this is the lesson we have to learn. As you say, the, the highest intuitions that we have are available to us as a deep insight that is very, very difficult to communicate, and certainly not in everyday terms. Poetry, great art, I think music communicates it. I think all forms of art and beauty can communicate it. But we cannot just simply say in so many words what it is. Yes, yes, and something I didn't mention in the introduction that many may already know about you is that music, as you were speaking and you finally said the word music, I was thinking, it's like music. You know, music isn't just a compilation of notes. <laughs> it's it's how do you describe the higher music or you yourself, Irvin, as a musician and that transcendence that whether we can create music or not, just to experience it, 
to me, that begins to capture it. Even music begins to capture it, um, what this is. Yes, it does. Music is not something out there. Music is a state yes. of mind. It's an experience. It, yes. To me, it's you know, the, the most founding, the most um, significant significant experience in my life. It's when I started yes. asking questions and trying to look for answers that could be put in conceptual terms. It was always the experience of music that I had that prompted me to look for the connection, to look for the relevance, to look for the, what I now call the coherence, look how things fit together, how they complete and complement one another. And that gives you an experience, which you sometimes got with great art. When you listen, I think when I listen to music of Mozart or, or, or Schubert or Verdi and, uh, and many other composers as well, when you when you see a great performance, can be a dance, can can be a, can be a, whatever form you, it might want to take, but it's when when it is there, you have an experience which is way beyond what you actually perceive. It takes you someplace else and takes you into a dimension which is a wholeness dimension where all things make sense. You cannot describe it; you don't need to describe it, but you feel it. And it is a transcendental experience. And it is, in a sense, I believe the objective to, to reach that experience is the objective of art. I think what religion and spirituality at its lived, lived deepest meaning does is gives you that experience, the religious experience. But William James, the great uh, uh, psychologist and philosopher, who wrote this book, famous book, The, the, uh, the Religious Experience, and he said, uh, criticizing some of the uh, current recognition, the current view of, of, of religion, says if somebody would have a truly religious experience in a church, probably the priest would come and, and suggest that he go out and consult a psychiatrist. Because you're not set up anymore to have truly this religious, this deep experience anywhere. And certainly nothing, nothing churches, nothing museums. Sometimes perhaps a little bit in a concert hall. But truly this experience is the core of the matter. It's the experience that we look for, that is motivating us. That is what we seek, because it's a glimpse into what I believe, and what I think many scientists today believe, is really the core, the ultimate truth about the cosmos, that it is a one. It is a, a whole quantum system, seamlessly whole, where every part collaborates, cooperates, and works together with every other part. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I, if I can take one more step with this analogy of music, and, and it's not just an analogy, the experience, I think that what you bring forward, even while explaining it in ways that um, that speak to those of us who are interested in the sciences and and, and philosophy and and, and um, higher studies, so to speak. When you when you talk about music, it reaches all of us. I mean, I feel like in my life, for example, my mother, 
who was very bright but had no advanced degree, she was a lover of classical music. And so she started playing it well before I was born, I'm sure. And that's, those are some of my earliest memories. Um, in fact, she loved playing Hungarian dances and things like that. And those are my, my memories. And, so, and it stayed with me my whole life. Um, I, I'm not a musician. I play the piano, but very, very um, basically. Um, but there's a foundation here. And, you know, part of this, and, and I kind of started the interview with this. You know, I'm a, I'm a parent, and, and um, my son is now in college. Um, but um, the, the thing that I think about is how do we begin to shift the way that we are relating to our children and and bring this forward because they naturally respond to this reality. They know it intuitively. Any parent or grandparent can see how these kids just respond. So so there's another way of of making it real. And Jane Goodall, by the way, who has worked with she has such a gentle spirit. I love that she gave the introduction to your book. She make I, I I think of her when I think of parenting because she has parented in a in a in an expansive way in many ways and observed and so long question again, you have me flowing today, is um just how how do we begin to shift the foundational you know, begin to understand it's always been with us, but that we need to we can grow this. How we're helping these new generations to take on a different way of looking at the world. Well, this is this is the challenge. I sometimes describe the current situation, the dynamics of the current situation, in terms of a bifurcation. Which is a model that comes from from, uh, from chem- physical chemistry and and cybernetics and so on. This is it. Really says that when you reach a critical point in a system, the system either collapses or it reconfigures itself. It cannot stay the way it was. Either disappears or renews itself. And this is the cusp at which we find ourselves today. The choices before are, are very basic and very dramatic. We can fail to perceive who we are, what the world around us is, and we continue like that. That is possible for us because our consciousness is limited. Our consciousness directs our actions, and our consciousness is sufficiently evolved to tell us that we must change, but not always sufficiently evolved to tell us how we must change. So here we are stuck in a way. We have a feeling that we should change. If we refuse that feeling, if we refuse to take cognizance of it, continue the way we are, we're going to have more and more stresses, more and more points of breakdown in the system. That we know we can make this forecast, whether we put it in terms of thermodynamics or, or climate or water availability or food or, or just conflict between human beings a cultural conflict, or political conflict, economic rivalry, and so on. In whatever way, if you continue on this trajectory, we reach points 
from which it will be, if not impossible, because nothing is quite impossible, but at least it will be very difficult to pull back. It will require tremendous sacrifices, a great price. We can still turn around. But this bifurcation point is something that we find ourselves in. I used to say it's before us. I think we are in it now. And many things are changing, and they're changing very rapidly. And some of the things, of course, are continue the way they were, and those things are negative. But the new things, the things that show change, actually, and they are not simple change, they are transformation, they are deep-seated transformations. You see it in the way young people, and the way intellectuals, the way sensitive people of all kinds. Don't have to be, don't have to have degrees, don't have to be, people who have formal studies. It's like your mother, it's enough to perceive, it's enough to, to sense, to feel it. You don't need to yeah. give, give those formal studies. I myself, you know, come, having come from, as a, ch- as a child prodigy, I had a very informal education. I got the, yeah. the informal work degree, actually, that I worked for our music, and then, uh, then later on I caught up in, 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 in philosophy and human sciences at, at, at the University of Paris, as you noted. But uh, yes. actually, I hardly ever attended formal schooling. I have uh-huh. passed the as needed, but I have always followed my own study route and, uh-huh. and, and produced, wrote it down and produced, and that became recognized in time. So I'm very intuitive also in that sense. I'm following where my nose, where my intuition leads me. And that, yeah. that is, is, is the major element then you can, if you feel that it doesn't lead you the right way, then it's not a good intuition. That's not a real intuition because I believe real intuitions are connected with the world. We are so much a part of this evolving universe that when we have a real genuine intuition, it is something which expresses how the whole universe evolves. We are part of that evolution. So I think the question before us is how do we penetrate beyond the surface separations, the surface uh, rivalries, and only us, we first, and we on, on, only us, out-competing and disregarding everything and everybody else. How do we get beyond that to find a deeper sense of connection and ultimately oneness, of which the great spiritual traditions are speaking, of which we are recognizing at the, at the frontiers of the quantum sciences, quantum sciences in biology, in psychology, in society, in every respect. That is, I think, the challenge and the, and the possibility before us. At the same time, as we have these tremendous negative challenges before us, at the same time, we have the discoveries of how to move beyond it. And we have yeah. also the impetus, the movement of moving in that direction. There's a remarkable transformation taking place in the minds of people, particularly for young people, but particularly for sensitive people of all ages and of every culture. It is a transformation that is actually going on in front of us, and we are part of it. Yes, yes. And I I join you in, in feeling this, and and I would like to say it gives me hope, but hope is not a strong enough word for what I want to say. Um it it's a knowing. It's a it's a there's no word for it. It's a feeling that no matter how divisive things might seem on the surface, 
um, somehow we know that there is a higher purpose, there is a higher reality, and once you feel and know that, it changes the the way that we view the future, I think. Um, and, you know, there's another question I wanted to ask you, and this has been something I've been pondering quite a bit lately. We really stand on the verge of some really significant discoveries. I've been blessed in my life, and I have to tell you, I've been one of these people who just seem to be around people who are doing cool things. Like, I, I say that in such an American way, don't I? <laughs> and it's true that, you know, there were people who were developing the World Wide Web as we know it at school near me. I wasn't doing it. But there are other people that I've been around who are making discoveries. They're, they're astrophysicists. Um, and we seem to stand on an interesting threshold where suddenly we're seeing all these planets now. We've surely known intuitively that we couldn't possibly be alone in such a vast universe and multiverse, as people are also starting to theorize, even scientists talking about multiverses as we are the multiverse. Um, So my question is, when you understand consciousness, um, when you think about its expansiveness, how can that help us also shift the way we as humanity view these discoveries and even what it would mean to share in communication? Of, you know, uh, we we have to, it's like we need a whole new language to understanding. There are surely species out there that have raised their consciousness and evolved over time, across time, across space. So how do we, we stand on a threshold. We don't talk about it much. It's in the news sometimes, but it feels very pivotal in a different way to me um, about what we're discovering, we're we're expanding. Uh, I it seems to me that we are not alone, as you yourself intimate now. We are in company. We are being guided. I'm not, I don't necessarily think of transcendental beings as spirits. I think of the same core information, the core, yeah. res- core resonance that is expressed in humans is expressed in other living things on this planet and beyond this planet. The evidence is coming more and more that Earth is not an unusually fortunate planet. Sure, some of the parameters of the Earth are unusually fortunate. It's a Goldilocks region where everything works just right. The porridge is just right, not too hot and not too cold. But this is how, how scientists sometimes talk about this. But it turns out that life, or the phenomenon that we now call life, is really a phenomenon of organization, of structuring, of becoming, uniting, and becoming one out of many. That phenomenon started before DNA started, before any element of life would have started. It solves a very great paradigm, very great paradox that people have difficulty solving fact is namely that you need DNA to produce organisms, but you need a living organism to, produce, to have the DNA. 
So chicken or the egg, one must have been there before the other. So it turns out that you don't need the DNA alone. Even before DNA, life has started. This is sometimes the latest information that we get. Because life is a, a, a connection. Life is a uniting together, a communion of elements which express a oneness. And this ex- expresses itself, expresses its relations to others. The great philosopher Alfred North Whitehead said that what a thing is, is how it relates to others. You don't have an independent core of what we are. We are the relationship of, 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 to the rest of the world. How the rest of the world is, is expressed in us. That's what we are. So recognizing it's a completely new and old at the same time, old paradigm. It's a rediscovered old paradigm, but it's a radical novelty in relation to materialist reductionist science. This is like you come across, of course, you have a particular sensitivity and background in this, and you've cultivated it. But many people are coming on this, feeling this intuitively. Not easy always to express it. As we said, these things are not easy to put into words. But it is something that's cropping up more and more. I don't know how you feel about it, but I would think that would have been difficult, very unusual to have a conversation like this even 10 years ago, not to mention 20 or 30 years ago. You know, people would have taken it seriously or just just sort of uh, blowing in the wind, just simply who what you're talking about. But now <laughs> this, this is cropping up more. So, fine. I think there is a change. Allow it to come. Allow it to blossom. Not Don't need to direct it. Don't need to channel it. Channel it. Just allow the people to know, recognize that this is the way to, to for our individual survival and our collective development. This is the way to find the way forward yeah. to recognize that the universe is a whole that is evolving toward higher and higher levels of wholeness. It's a statement that seems to come from esoteric dimensions, but it's a statement actually the newest insight into the nature of evolution in the physical world. Yes, yes. And I know I must intervene here for a second. I know that we're we're at the end of our scheduled hour together in the time of this interview. I just want to make sure, Irvin, that that um, um, you have a, a few more minutes to 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 talk because I I'm not sure how much time you had scheduled today. Um, so, um, but I wanted to say the reason I laughed a moment ago was just. Um, that because I couldn't even imagine myself 20 years ago, for example, having this radio program or this podcast on the Internet um, or any number of things that have flowed, although there were inklings. You know, many of us in all our entire lives, we have spiritual inklings. But then, you know, in my own case, there was an awakening time after a brush with my own mortality is what happened, and I think that happens to many people. So, you know, something in our lives triggers a higher awakening. So, so yes, let me be respectful of your time um, as well here as we get closer to the end of our time together. Well, Susan, it's a great pleasure, very good to discuss these things, trying to find a way of expressing them, of sharing them. Yes. But I think people who listen to this conversation, they know 
that you don't need to listen to the words. It's not just what we say, the words and the adjectives and, and the connection between them. It's the sensation, it's the phenomenon, it's the feeling beyond the, the manifestation. It's, that's what we're trying to express. And if you listen to it with that in mind, then you, can, then you can yourself join in it. Because the way to learn and the way to teach is not to do something to others that they don't have and just to give it to them. It's to allow others and ourselves in the process to recognize what we are and what we have known. Recognition, learn, learning is actually, as Plato says, a new form of cognition, recognition. We all have it in us. And this is the greatest hope that we have today, that more and more people seeing the mess, the problems, the, the one-way streets that we are facing in the world around us, in the physical, biological world, that more and more people turning inward, trying to turn not just to themselves, contemplating their navel, as it were, but turning toward nature, turning toward the deeper dimension. You talked about the Akasha. The Akasha is a symbol for such a deep dimension, a, uni- a, a universal cosmic quantum field. Call it what you like, basically, a unified field. But it's, it's there, basically. The universe, the cosmos, is what I like to call a coherent cluster of vibrations. Very different from saying that one bit of atom interacting with another bit, you know. So this recognition is something that we can perceive, we can feel, we can be one, and then we start to resonate, and this resonance will be expressed in behavior that allows us to survive and to flourish. Because people resonate like this together. They don't want to kill others in their own interest. They don't want to disadvantage even others. They know that what they do to others, they do to themselves. But we either all do it together or none of us will do it. This this recognition is growing and programs and, and sentiments and ideas that you are expressing help it very much to grow and to flourish. That's the way forward. Yes, yes. Well, let me say um, such a sincere thank you from my heart um, for for um, enabling this wonderful time together of flowing. I, I mean, I think that we are all connected. We can connect and in in beautiful ways. Um, each of us bringing whatever we have to to the equation, and and ultimately we are one and inseparable. So. Um, you know, thank you so much. I have so appreciated this conversation, and I hope people discover your new book and much of your work that is out there, your new book, The Intelligence of the Cosmos. There there will be a link on the page and your website, um, just simplyyourname.com, urbanlaszlo.com. But thank you, thank you for, for being here. It's a true honor. Thank you, Susan. It's a confirmation of the hope that I have, that I can contribute, even if it's a small little bit, but contribute something, which is not to teach people, but to help people to recognize who they are. Because that's the subtitle of this book. Who are we? We have to recognize it. We are the cosmos. We are the intelligence of the cosmos expressed. And if we recognize that, we start acting like that, then we'll solve the problems that are in front of us. Because we are the highest form of evolution on this planet. And perhaps 
there are other forms in other planets, but certainly we are the, one of the highest forms in this universe. I'm pretty sure of that. And this is a great responsibility. You're helping us to meet this responsibility. So thanks for this conversation. Oh, thank you very much. And um, I hope that, that you you have a wonderful evening where you are. You're, you're heading into evening. I'm heading into day. And, um, and again, uh, um, so much to explore here, just, just so much for all of us, no matter where we are and how we come to this material. There, there is a great deal here for all of us to learn. Thank you again. Indeed. Let's live together. Let's learn together. Let's develop together. That's the best thing we can do. Yes, yes. Thank you. Take care, then. Welcome back. This is Susan Laris and Dance once again live after playing and really listening once again to a truly wonderful and approachable interview with Dr. Irvin Laszlo. And I'd like to thank those of you who have joined us live tonight to listen to this broadcast and um, how how wonderful that, that, that Blog Talk Radio um, highlighted the broadcast tonight as well on the front page um, and even um, with it being somewhat spontaneous, I am just so glad that um, I had the opportunity to use a new way of bringing this interview to you across time and and I hope that um, there will be a way to to do more of this in the future. And um, for those of you listening live, um, I am thank you for being with us today. And um, the next program is Monday, March 12th, 7 p.m. Pacific, with Dr. Dean Schrock, and he will be speaking about nourishing your soul. So I welcome you to the next program on the Frontier Beyond Fear. And you can always find out all about this show and upcoming and archived broadcasts at FrontierBeyondFear.com. Thank you so much for being here tonight for this special um, recorded broadcast. And I look forward to having you here again. Take care, everyone.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.